We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. From the WEEI Studios, the home of the Red Sox. 93.7 WEEI-FM HD1. Lawrence, Boston. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The fact that this team does not have an identity at this point is definitely problematic, and they have to find their way back to having a defensive identity. They missed Rob Williams at the start of the season. That cost them something as they were trying to coalesce around some of the new guys. Once they get Rob Williams back, the emphasis over the final 10, 12 games of the season, whatever he plays in, has to be, to, has to be getting back to where they were defensively. The offense is going to come. They've got too many great offensive players, from Tatum to Brown to Malcolm Brogdon. They're going to find ways to score, but they've got to get back to being a top five, top three defensive team if they're going to win in the playoffs. Hour number three, Jones and Mego with Arcan here on WEEI. That was Chris Mannix last night on Early Edition talking about the Celtics and their lack of a defensive identity, which we've been discussing. Brian Scalabrini actually got the ball rolling on this earlier in the week. What is the Celtics' identity? Do they have a championship identity. Who am I? And we're going to talk to Scal about a half hour from now. He joins us each and every Wednesday at 4.30 here on WEEI. And if you missed any part of the show or have it delivered to your phone daily, subscribe to Jones and Mego with Arcan, our podcast on the Odyssey app, or wherever you find your podcast. But mark Scal, that down. winner of uh, Shots for the Cure, too. Oh, did he win that? Oh, he yeah. did. Oh, I didn't realize that. As he should have. Made a rain. He, I thought Barrows was going to Well, I was going to say, him, yeah. or, him or Dana Barrows, right? Probably should have... Uh, should have won. I did Dana, see that Dana got off to a slow start. I saw the video of Fourier getting winded. I did see that. Uh, you know what? He was surpri- you know who was shockingly good in that thing yesterday? I went who? back and watched it. Dakota. Dakota. Oh, really? He had this crazy form. Bill Cartwright looking yeah. shot, and he was making three. He was swishing threes. Okay. It didn't make any sense at all, but he was pretty good. Let's I, move uh, on to anything else. I didn't realize that uh, Scal was the champion, though. You know it was really good? Mego. You know no, I know Mego. I know Mego did a great job in that yesterday, for sure. So I, I had just gotten over this. So Scal got the ball rolling on the Celtics and how they don't have an identity. And Mannix is saying they don't have a defensive identity. Meh. What do you mean, meh? I mean, I think they don't have an identity. I'm more with Scal than being specific with Mannix. Okay, well, let's uh, follow up on what Mannix said. Uh, in the last seven games, intern Brian sent some good numbers here. In the last seven games since the All-Star break, the Celtics have allowed a 40-point scorer in four of those seven games. And a 38-point scorer in the other two, which is, I don't know how I didn't realize this. Arkan had been talking about how the Celtics had been getting cooked by the Mikhail Bridges of the world and the Emmanuel Quickleys of the world. I didn't realize it was that. Here's the breakdown. Donovan Mitchell had 44-40 and 40 in the two games against the Celtics since the All-Star break. Emmanuel Quickly, 38. Mikhail Bridges, 38. Embiid had 41 I forgot about Miles Turner and the game where he was hitting like three after three after three. Then the 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 was that a double overtime game? Right after the All Star break, he had forty. So that's insane. And a bunch of that was guards. And apparently, in the two games where Embiid and Turner went off, those are bigs going off. Time Lord was still healthy. Rob Williams was still out there for the Celtics 
You disagree, though, Mego. You don't think this is about their defensive identity. You think the team just lacks an identity in general. I do. I think it's a bigger... I think it's more fundamental issues than just one side of the ball. I will say Donovan Mitchell... Like I, I like these recent stats, and I think that they illustrate a lot of important points about their defense. Donovan Mitchell also had 41 at the beginning of the year, I think in the first match mm-hmm. matchup between the Cavs and the Celtics. I think he's just a really bad match for the Celtics. Like, I think he just exploits everything that they do. Look, Mitchell's a bad matchup for everybody. How do we explain, like, Emmanuel quickly, who's a backup guard with that the Knicks? How do we explain that, is, that, that one? That is a bigger conundrum. A bigger conundrum to me. Arkan, you were on this early in the week. You said defense was their issue. Defense is what they were lacking in. Yeah, it's been noticeable all year long, really, but now it's sort of coming to a head. Like, this team, if you talk about the continuation from last year, and one of the things that you heard Brad Stevens and, you know, Wick and everybody else go on and on about is how Joe Mazzula was doing such a great job of bridging last year's team to this year's team. And they did win a lot of games. It's not like they were bad. They did win games. But all season long, I felt that this team's defensive identity from last year, which maybe were dumb to still be holding on to, right? Didn't the playoffs kind of blow that up a little bit? Like, there was a bunch of games where Milwaukee did whatever they wanted to, Miami did whatever they wanted, Golden and State, Golden sure. State clearly did whatever they wanted to, so maybe we're all kind of, maybe we're all just like clinging on to the past too hard here. I don't here. think so, Arkan. I'm with you on the original point because they got to the finals, and yeah, they got smoked by the Warriors in the second half of those finals. Like, yep. they absolutely got manhandled by the Warriors. But they got to the finals. Yeah, and I think it was really the Warriors who, who I remember some of those Miami games being just defensive slogs and Robert Williams scaring the crap out of players on Miami. I, I don't remember Milwaukee as well, but I, I feel like the Eastern Conference final was some low-scoring games. Maybe I have that wrong. That's, uh, that's... W- there was really one game. It was a 93-80 to 80 win for the Celtics in Game 5. All of the other games hit triple digits. Interesting. I, I remember feeling like Miami couldn't score, and there were games where I felt like Milwaukee couldn't score outside of Giannis. In that series. So I, I thought their defense was good until the finals. The Warriors did expose them, though. Absolutely, they had no answer for Steph. The the Celtics got held to under triple digits, one, two, three, four of the six games that they played against the Warriors. Against Golden State. So maybe it was an offensive issue. What is the Celtics' identity, and why are they having defensive issues? 617-779-7937. Now, I earlier in the week said they they broke Robert Williams. And I was a fan of this as they did it. And I'm not I'm not turning around and saying... Why'd you do they that? Nev- correct. I'm not saying they never should have done it because I applauded it at the time. I'm like, good. Rob Williams is rushing back for the net series. He's coming back. He's playing. He's trying to help the team win a championship. Good for him. And I was on board with that approach. But now that you look at it, you go, oh, is he ever going to be healthy again? Like, that's not what I'm wondering. He co- that was a non-contact thing the other day against the Nets where he comes down awkwardly and you have to wonder if he's ever going to be right. And he's a guy who's always had injury problems from the second he walked into the league. So I said that. And the more I think about it, the more I wonder if it's about their defensive player of the year. Shouldn't shouldn't they have a defensive identity when you have the DPOY, the self-proclaimed DPOY, the defensive player of the year? Shouldn't you be better defensively and have a defensive identity when that guy is on your team? And the answer is, of course you should, if that mattered. If it mattered, of course you should. He'd be, they'd be shutting teams down defensively. They would be shutting down certainly Emmanuel quickly. Donovan Mitchell might be his own thing. Certainly Emmanuel quickly they'd be shutting down. Marcus Smart has been noticeably bad, I think, all year defensively. And trust me, I track it every single game because I am a normal, well-adjusted person, Mego. I track these numbers. I have, I have the file going, the DPOY database. I have it here on my phone. I update it after every single game. 
Because, again, I'm normal and well-adjusted. Yeah, no, you're a weird guy. So I know that his defense has struggled all year. It's been especially bad since the All-Star break, and it's been especially bad in the last four games. Now, one of those was a win over Cleveland. Worst defensive game he had this year. 26 points he allowed in that game as the primary defender. That's the most he's allowed all year. That was against Cleveland in a 117-113 win. He allowed 16 against Brooklyn, 23 against the Knicks, the Emmanuel quickly game, 13 points against Cleveland the last time out. Over those four games, Marcus Smart, as an individual defender, is allowing almost 20 points per game on 60% shooting, 29 out of 48, 538 from three, 14 out of 26. He's been bad defensively. How come you don't have a defensive identity? Because either your DPOY is resting on his laurels, read his own press clippings, and believed he could just show up and defend people, and he needs to defend at a higher level, or that's always been overrated. And the real defender on this team, as I tried to tell people last year, and the real reason you were special defensively was Rob Williams and never Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart wasn't even the best defender on his own team last year. That was Rob Williams. How the hell did he win defensive player of the year? You can't not have a defensive identity when you have the DPOY. Unless he's out of shape, or he's not putting in the work, or he was always overrated. How do you not have a defensive identity with him on the team? How is that possible? So I think I've been pretty consistent since he came back from injury that he hasn't looked good. That he's been bad after this injury. So I, I think those stats back that up. He's been, bad all, he's been bad all year, but so, he's been especially bad since he came you back. You say he's True. been bad all year. Yes. We're looking at, I'm looking at uh, a defended field goals made, so basically opponents shooting on him. In 2022, they had a 45% rate making field goals on him, 36% behind the arc. Yep. That was last year. Which by, the last way, season. which, by the way, isn't good. Okay. But keep going. This year, 47% field goal rate 36 from behind the arc so including I, that bad stretch so i have 470 i have 478 and 368 which both are this worse. this is from nba.com well, this these, isn't jones con- well, these compiled are, stats these are for me compiling numbers off of nba.com which i've been doing since day one of the year he also okay. is giving up 14 this is points defensive tracking stats he's giving NBA. up 14 com. points a night well my numbers aren't that far off by the way but yeah. I, but i, but I, I, would, I, I, I would question I would say, those numbers i would say when you say he's been bad all year he's been worse than he's last been year comparative to last year he's Two percent worse. Okay, in one stat is giving up forty five percent from the field and thirty six percent on threes. Good last year. I always thought that was overrated. Yeah, and I don't think it's horrible. Here is what I think is especially overrated about him defensively. You can bring up a screen, and he's going to switch. You can dictate that. You know who you can't really erase on defense? Rob Williams when he's right. You can't really erase him. Even when he switches off, he closes. He swats shots. He puts the fear of God in people. So their defensive identity, I don't think, was ever about the DPOY. He's worse this year. He's been horrendous lately. He's been really bad since the break. If I you would don't have a push, defensive identity. I would push back against he's been so bad all year. He's been worse I don't this, think he's been you just so gave bad me all, all the year. Numbers. He's been worse this he's year than last year. Slightly worse. Slightly worse than his DPOY year. When you can look at that and say, he should have never gotten that DPOY award last yeah, year with those I did, numbers. I did say that. I know. I know. But I'm saying he's pretty much statistically the same player. Worse. He's worse than okay, a year ago. Two percent worse. And he, that's that's a noticeable uptick. And he's been a, a lot. Noti- two percent yes. out of hundred is a noticeable yes, uptick. Yes, okay, I think well, so. This is the less than five percent chance guy. Back so to I the guess birth I'll control. Go with that. Uh, but I, but I think so. If you if you increase your shooting percentage by two percent, we go. Wow, boy, look at look, he's really shooting a lot better this year. Went from a forty three percent shooter to forty five. Like yes, I think that's an, over a course of a year. That's a that's a lot. Hey, let's say maybe before he was injured that he was on exactly the same track as the year before. Yeah, he took two weeks off. He's not. You're telling me he's not healthy. No, he took two weeks off because he was injured. He wasn't okay. going to Barbados. But you don't. But you don't. But I'm saying you don't think he's healthy. You look at him now and you go, he's not no, healthy. No, I don't think he's healthy. In fact, the best games he played were the first games he when he came back. 
Those were the best games that and he played. And now he looks like awful. And now he's stunk the last four. How do you not have a defensive identity with the DPOY? Riddle me that. 617-779-7937. And they, they are struggling with their identity. I mean, Scal was right about this. Scal was right to question this. And we're going to ask him about it again about 20 minutes from now when he joins us. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Tim is in Westfield. Go ahead, Tim. Hello, Tim. 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 Let's, let's put Tim on hold. Let's go to Cam in yes, Springfield. Go, go ahead, Cam. I don't necessarily think they have a an, an, uh, defense issue. I feel like their defense is fine. It's not It's not what up to par as it was last year, but like the defense is terrible. What the problem is, they, their late game, their late game is awful. They have no identity late game. It's ISO. They're, I feel like the first 95% of the game, the offense was great, phenomenal. The last five percent, they just like, all right, we're going to run an ISO here ah. and just hope Tatum puts the ball in the basket. So, what's going wrong for the Celtics in these late game situations? Because that's been happening. I mean, their defense is a problem. Their defense is absolutely a problem. I don't we know. Talk- Jason Tatum's so clutch. I feel like he should be uh, well, you know, taking these games over. We, right? It's a fair point. We talked about this yesterday, Why though. does Arkan hate Jason Tatum? I don't know. He, he does. That word, don't he? He does seem, I love Paul Pierce. He does seem to hate Jason <laughs> Tatum. That's true. Jason yeah, Paul, Paul Pierce is so... It's a, it's a bad look for our show. He was frankly. so clutch before he got Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. I mean, just the clutchest guy ever. He was. Super clutch. Um, when it comes to the Celtics, defense is a problem late in these games. Absolutely. They're blowing giant leads. They're doing it consistently. How do they keep doing that? Defense is a factor. How much of a factor is coaching? And I think we've talked about Joe Missoula and his issues late. I think Gary Washburn raised some very interesting questions, some very interesting points about Joe Missoula and how veteran coaches are taking advantage of Joe Missoula in these late-game situations. Is that a concern, along with the Celtics and their lack of a defensive identity? We'll get to that. 617-779-7937, right after trending here. with We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is Jones and Mego. You're Dr. Doom. I am. I'm also Dr. Don Overton. W-E-E-I. W-E-E-I. This is largely the same team with some positive additions that the one that made the finals last year. They're just, they're like the Benjamin Button Celtics. They're doing everything in reverse. Last year, (laughs) they started the season blowing big leads, uh, playing sloppily, not having great late game execution, and then they figured it out. This year, they play great to start the season, and now it feels very familiar where you see a 20-point lead, that evaporates. Late game execution, that's not there. You see Jason Tatum yelling at Grant Williams to move over to the other side of the floor during the ending moments of that Knicks game. You're just not seeing them play with the precision that we saw at the end of last year. I feel like we were early on this. Like We've been talking about this for a while now. The Celtics started 18-4 and and 21-5. and They haven't been good since. I didn't use the topical reference Chris Mannix did last night on early edition, though, Mego. I'm kicking myself. I missed out on the Benjamin Button reference. His references are off the hook. <laughs> I got to watch more movies. That's another movie I haven't seen. But I, I, but I at least get the reference. What was it, 12 years ago? Oh, it's old. Yeah, it was probably about when I was... 14 years ago? It's probably about when I was still going ago? to see movies in theaters. It was probably 
around then, I would say. Creepy. Again, I believe the last movie creepy I saw makeup in theaters on uh, Brad Pitt was uh, Don't Inception. do that to Brad Pitt. What? Oh, the makeup? The creepy makeup. Yeah, maybe not. It's a crime against Brad Pitt's face. It is. You know what? The man doesn't need any makeup. He doesn't need any touching up. Did you see Once Upon on a Time thing. in Hollywood? No. No, oh, did I see what? When did that come out? Like two years ago? On no. A, on a roof to repair it and takes his shirt off. Man still got it. <laughs> Mama likey is what <laughs> yes. you were saying. Pause. So, rewind. <laughs> so that was that was Mannix last night on early edition. I, I don't know if the Celtics are Benjamin Buttoning from last year. I, they're starting to remind me of the Kyrie Celtics 2018-2019, as we discussed earlier in the week. Mannix wasn't done. Mannix says the point we're hitting in the schedule is now, uh, in his words, a moment of truth for Joe Mazzula. This now is a moment of truth or moments of truth for Joe Mazzula. Like, yeah. Joe Mazzula did a phenomenal job to start this season. He took, under, un, took over under the most trying of circumstances where he had to take over a team that was in flux, that was dealing with a coaching change, and he kept the trains running on time. This is adversity. Maybe the biggest adversity the Celtics have faced all season long, and Joe Mazzulla now needs to navigate this team out of it. He's got to get in their heads in the locker room. He's got to get Grant Williams' head right. He's got to get Rob Williams back on the floor. Look, Rob Williams, I'm sure, is legitimately injured. No, it's your boy. He's legitimately injured. But, Chris, how many times last year did Ime Udoka find creative ways to call Rob Williams soft? And that paid off at the end of the year because Rob Williams was playing through pain uh, all throughout the playoffs last year. Rob Williams needs to get out there on the floor as soon as possible. He needs to stay out there on the floor because without him, they have no chance of beating any of the top-tier teams in the Eastern Conference. So that's a bomb that he drops at the end. Like, oh, well, they need Rob or they can't beat anybody. You agree or disagree with that? 617-779-7937. Sounds to me like maybe uh, Mannix thinks the DPOY is a little overrated. When it comes to their defensive identity, he calls him soft in there, which I've been putting it on the team. Maybe it deserves to be more on Robert Williams. But we can put the Rob stuff to the side. The Missoula, it's a moment of truth, that criticism. And we were playing a couple of clips yesterday from Missoula going back and forth with Gary Washburn before the game and after the game. And Mego, you forwarded Washburn's story in the Globe today, which I think has some real valid criticisms of Missoula. We got a feud. We, we absolutely do. What jumped out to you in that story? Okay. Well, I mean, the headline itself from Washburn in the Globe today is Joe Missoula's inexperience being exposed in Celtics' recent losses. Yes. Uh, the criticism of Missoula is increasing, he wrote. Is he truly prepared to lead the Celtics to their first championship in 15 years? And his inexperience, especially against veteran coaches, is his inexperience, I should say, especially against veteran coaches being exposed during these late-season matchups. Yes. Is Missoula really the right man for this job? No. And then he goes on to say he hears those questions, withstands the criticisms, and it's his fault. Blah, 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 blah. He says what's complicated about the situation is Missoula is just 34 and a first-time coach. First time anything makes mistakes. They learn with experience. They are given grace. Missoula is not presented with such grace because the stakes are so high. People have been coaching a long time. It's no ordinary job uh, because the plan is to win a championship. Okay. Do you think do you think coaches are exposing Joe Missoula? Like I, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but late in the game, when does coaching really start to matter? And I guess he's good enough to build up these leads. But late in the game, are veteran coaches running circles around him? I think it's an interesting point by uh, Gary Washburn in the Globe. Arkan, do you agree with it? I think in certain areas, maybe in very specific times and points of the game. But I also sort of think 
It's the NBA, and if your team's good enough, it shouldn't really matter this much who the coach is. I'm sorry. I just don't. I never believed that. I never bought it. I thought with the Warriors, they showed very clearly that it didn't matter who was coaching them at that time. They were going to win a ton of games, and I sort of feel like with the Celtics now, what, they need Ime Udoka yelling at them to play defense? Like, that doesn't make any sense. These guys all know how to play. They know what they're doing. Like, it's it's them. It's on them more than I think it's on Joe Mazzulli. Well, that's fine. And how much? So I guess his inexperience doesn't really matter to me. How much of a difference does Joe Missoula or any head coach make on a team over the course of an NBA season? I don't know the answer. Like, I'm sure people have done the research. I I guess like a game or two. Okay? Like small, tiny. But on the margins, which is what we're talking about winning a championship, where like every single little thing matters, I do think coaching could come into play and could be a problem with the Celtics and prevent them from getting there. And maybe it's more what you're saying, Arkan. It's not Missoula and his system. It's the players and the lack of a belief or whatever. Like, Grant Williams doesn't believe in himself. I don't know if the team believes in themselves right now. They believed in Udoka. They don't believe in this guy. That, that to me, is the problem. I always push back against coaching doesn't matter in the NBA, but particularly with this group of Celtics, it matters so much. What was the difference? Yeah, Udoka got him over the hump. Yeah, between exactly. Between 21 and 22. Mm-hmm. What was the di- The difference was Udoka. They didn't respect. And what he did with that chemistry behind the scenes. They didn't respect G. Willikers. You know, on his tractor. They didn't respect each other. They didn't, they respect- didn't understand their roles. They didn't buy in. They didn't respect you, Willikers. They didn't respect each other, probably because they didn't respect the head coach and didn't trust the head coach. And then Udoka comes in and everything falls thing, into place. But I think saying oh, I that, it, that it doesn't matter is with this group is just, I don't know how you look at recent history and think that it doesn't matter. I just think when you're talking about winning a championship, that's where it comes into play. If you're just talking about. Who's coaching the Orlando Magic? I don't really think that matters. They're probably going to win whatever amount of games they're going to win. Who's coaching the Brooklyn Nets when they had the superstars there? Who's coaching, you know, the Lakers? Who's coaching yeah. the teams with the great play? Like, I just don't feel like that makes a difference. Well, I think it does make a difference, but I think talent is what's ultimately going to win. So I don't mean to ride the fence on this. Like, I think talent's ultimately going to win out, but you can I'm have a, saying with these guys specifically. You can have a coach get in the way. We've seen coaches get in the way of talented teams before. So I think you can have a coach get in the way, and Missoula might be getting in the way. That's okay. That's I'd, I'd be willing to allow for that. Okay. I just don't necessarily think that the coaches have that much of a positive impact that you're talking about a championship team because the coach is this guy. Well, this is something to ask Scal when he joins us in a few minutes. It's 617-779-7937. Joe's on the Cape. Go ahead, Joe. Hey, um, I've been looking back at all the the uh, the back to backs throughout the course of the season, and I think what Missoula has been doing is really interesting. In that, you know, people are always out and injured, and, and it's, it's been an opportunity to like just play the depth of the lineups and just get all these guys playing times because arguably that's going to be the biggest, the most important thing in the championship run. Yeah. So, Joe, um, I don't, I don't know if the back to backs are totally his call. Like some of that might be Brad Stevens and the front office, the exercise the board science of, yeah, specialist, the sleep, the sleep like, doctors, or whatever. I think, I think are just guys who like walk through the shadows yeah. of TD Garden. I don't. It might not be his call. Wh- whoever is saying Jason Tatum should sit against the Bucks and sit against Cleveland, and maybe it's Tatum, but then play against the Pistons. This is what I'm saying. Like they need to pick their spots better. If you want to give them a back-to-back off, fine. But the game to give him off should have been the one before the All-Star break against Detroit, not the one in Milwaukee. That's my critique. And I don't know that that's Joe Missoula. I don't know that that's his approach or if it's Brad or the Sleep Doctors or whoever else. I don't else. think it is Joe Missoula. It seems to be mostly a con- every time that Tatum it's an organizational ta- every thing. time Tatum talks about it, he references Brad. Yeah, or look, here's, here's my guess as to who's sitting them out. Tatum. It's part of why I blame Tatum for the other night in Cleveland. Like, if you want to play, you can play. Jalen Brown played, and Jalen Brown made a point to say, yeah, I don't care. I'll play 45 minutes. He made a point to say that, which might have been a dig at Tatum. Dean's in Providence. Go ahead, Dean. 
Hey guys, um, real quick, when do, when does this Robert Williams thing? When are we done with this? Because this dude is forty games a year, twenty minutes a game, and he's averaging like seven and a half and six and a half. I just don't understand what, you know why we don't have a center. We got Muscala for something, but that guy. I mean, I'd rather oh, have Kelly. That's not the answer. Four. Okay, so he, but he just said that. I thought he was talking up Muscala like it was a good yeah. piece. Muscala is not a good piece. Uh, Muscala was again. I think like a bargain basement dumpster dive level move at the trade deadline. That's what it was. That wasn't a bold move. That wasn't a commitment from ownership to muscle up. That was just taking what's left over. And so that's how I felt about Mescala at the time. I think that's been proven. When it comes to the other piece with Robert Williams, I'm not, I'm not done with the Rob Williams experience, but at some point you got to say, is he going to be available and can he play through injuries? I think that's fair. He's that's what really, Mannix's question. I think he's a really special player. and He signed through 26. And they he's signed a pretty team-friendly deal understanding his own availability so i'm okay i just i'm like i'm okay with it right now it's just a matter of is he going to be available for playoff time yeah consistently i'm I'm absolutely not moving him yet uh and we can get back to your phone call 617-779-7937 but we're joined right now as we are every week at 4 30 on a wednesday by brian scalabrini he joins us on the Harbor One Hotline. He's brought to you by Shaw's and Star Market, bringing people together around the joys of food, by John Sewer and Drain Cleaning, the name to know when your drains don't flow, and by Dr. Matthew Lapresti at Leonard Hair Transplant Associates, the hair doctor of Tommy Curran at 1-800-GET-HAIR. Scal, what's going on? Tommy Curran needs a jump shot doctor, according to yesterday. Does he? What? I he thought, looked good yesterday, uh, now, he, he shot it. He shot it well. Now, Scal, he shot I, it well. He, he was saying, I don't miss. That's what he said. Oh. I don't miss. He was being a little Grant you, Williamsy. A little too cocky. Yeah, I got two. I would make both of them. Yeah, I would make so, all of them. So did I hear this right? You won. You won this uh, this shootout yesterday. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I shot poorly and I won. So just go figure. Huh? <laughs> and he went first. I, I was too. really. I, I'm being honest. I really was expecting to lose to Dana Barrows, and I would not have a problem with that at all. Dana did really didn't shoot the ball well, but. The rest of them, I only got nervous when Kern had came up with a great strategy of going corner and then just like a little bit off of that, thousand uh-huh. dollars each shot. Uh, in 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 retrospect, I wish I would have picked that strategy instead. Because I was a corner three point shooter, I'm like automatic from this. Well, spot. but you but you won either way. How would you grade? Uh, how would you grade Mego's uh, shooting form yesterday? It was tough. No, I don't understand the leg kick. <laughs> I understand. You know, you see, like, go watch Devin Booker. He sticks his front leg out. In front. I've never seen a reverse leg kick. I just don't know what to Scott, make Scott, I explained this to you. I was trying to distribute my weight onto my front right foot. <laughs> I gotcha. Yesterday was yeah. tough for me. I wish we could all move beyond it, but everyone's so obsessed with me. I didn't hear a grade in there, though. Okay, well, how, how, would we, how would we grade that? Well, I don't know. Like, like I, is it – are you a championship contender or – are you are you in the Wimbenyama sweepstakes? Are you in the Wimbenyama sweepstakes? You did, you did great. Mega Wimbenyama. Guys, it's a good guys point. Don't move the goalpost. I, you guys are the king and queen of moving the goalpost. No, 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 no. That's uh, that's absolutely true, and I uh, I wear that crown uh, uh, very very proudly. So, Scal, while we're talking about grading things, uh, let's put a number on the uh, the Celtics panic meter here. Uh, I'm at about a ten. Let's say one to ten. How panic should we be? Ten. Yes. I mean. I'll ask you this question, right? You met somebody, that person bought and sold stocks, and they made you a billion dollars, mm-hmm. and then they lost you a billion dollars. <laughs> would you be? Would you have confidence that they could do it again? Because to lose a twenty-eight point lead, you I'd be build pretty one. pissed about losing the billion personally. But no, that's I understand. But what if they, you know, like I'm saying, they clearly have the talent to do it. 
so it's just about maintaining it. My whole thing is never I – have, I haven't wavered on this team in three years from this standpoint. You guys want to play slow and dribble around, you're not going to be very good. Like, the only – like, I look at Kevin Durant as the, as the guy that could do that. Like, I don't even like the Clippers when they walk the ball off the floor and they play isolation basketball. So, I, like, I personally think, like, the Celtics, when they're at their best, they're moving it. And I know they had that turnaround. It kind of looked like to me they were playing fast and moving the ball. And I don't know why when a team goes on like a 6-0 run or an 8-0 run, they just revert back to that old, like, playing style. It's not it – doesn't, that doesn't work unless Tatum is amazing and Brown. And sometimes they have games like that where they score 40 apiece. And I guess it could happen. But I just think when you're at your best, that ball is, like, flying around. They're pushing the pace. They're, like, using – they're maximizing what they have as a talent. But um, I don't know why they go away from that. Okay, so they're not moving the ball well. Uh, you've questioned no, 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 no. They, they do. They do it sometimes for stretches. Yes, yeah, but they're yeah, not doing. They're yeah. not doing it consistently. I'm sorry. You've questioned what their identity is. I didn't hear a number in there. One to ten. We're, you're a one. We're not panicked at all. Uh, I'm not going to panic with the best team in the NBA in the regular season. So, oh, you, am I? You're, when you say panic, you mean, do I think they could still win a championship? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Are you worried about yeah. what the goal is this year, a championship? Yes. Yeah, I think like from a championship standpoint, I'd be like a two or a three. Okay, so low. I think, and if, if the Bucks were just a normal team right now, I think everything would be fine. But the fact that they've won 19 of 20 makes it, maybe puts it up to a three. Scout, we've been talking about something that you brought up on TV the other night after the game, which was this team's identity struggling to find their identity at this point in the season. Last year, defense really became predominantly their identity. What would you like to see as their identity this year? Well, at the very beginning of the year, they chose to emphasize the offense, right? And that, and that's fine. They were historic for, I think, about, I, think, I think it was six weeks. They had like this historic offense where they were moving it. So I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with playing fast, you know, spreading the floor, cracking people off the dribble multiple times in a possession. So I'm okay with that being your identity. Um, I don't, I don't need it to be what they were before, but you know, Rob Williams came back and they became a much better defensive team. And then they also defensive rebound percentage is number one in the NBA. So a great defensive rebound team, which is part of defense that can transition into playing faster. So I think that's what their identity should be. And they do it at times. And once again, if you just watch like the good teams around the NBA, they're just a lot closer to 48 minutes than we are. That's it. That's like, if you want to know the difference when you watch the Bucks, the Bucks do the same thing whether Giannis play, doesn't play. They just play the same way. They're going to spread you. They're going to space you. They're going to move you. They're going to cut you. That's pretty much what they do, and they replicate that. And sometimes they shoot the ball poorly, and they lose, or Lopez is in a funk, and they lose. Sometimes Giannis is in a funk, and they lose. Most of the time right now, they're winning these games, and that seems to be their identity. Our identity could be the same. I, th- I think we have better decision makers and more guys to crack people off the dribble. So I would be fine with that if they can do that closer to 48 minutes. Scal, you look at the last couple of weeks and even the last couple of games, Donovan Mitchell, Emmanuel Quickly, uh, Mikhail Bridges, Miles Turner a couple weeks ago with the Pacers. It seems like almost every night there's some guy on the other team just killing this, the, uh, these guys uh, on offense. And I feel like last year when that was starting to happen in the first couple of quarters, they were much better at making adjustments. Why does it seem like they can't contain some of these stars and in some cases not even really stars in the league on a nightly basis anymore? 
I mean, it's twofold, right? Like last year, um, during their run, they were pretty much they were Rob Williams and Al Horker were you know, relatively healthy, so defensively they were a lot better. Um, and two, I just think they had more pride in their defense last year. I really believe that. I think, I think they took that identity somewhere middle of the season when they were eighteen or twenty-one, whatever. They hit rock bottom in whatever the game it was. I, I think it was a Portland game last year, and um, I, and I think from that point on, they were like, we're going to be this hard-nosed defensive team. So what's the difference when you watch, right? They come off the screen. The difference this year is that guy is like down the floor waiting for a guy. Last year, they come off the screen, and they're right into the body. It was an aggressive switch. What else is a difference? Well, I see their hands were up a lot more last year than this year. I, got, I thought the flexions were up. I just thought they were way more active. And it felt like to me that there was a, just a, a, a lot more pride defensively than this year. So in the NBA where the margins are really, really small, like those couple things make a big difference. And it, I think that obviously you, you, you see like championship hangovers all the time. It does happen. And, but I just haven't seen like that team, that defensive hard-nosed defensive team that we saw last year. And to be honest with you, I didn't see it a lot during the playoffs, which is understandable. You're playing against really good teams. A lot more game planning going on, but um, I, I'd like to see a little bit more of that, like some wire-to-wire wins, not getting up and then blowing leads. I'd like to see more of that, and I think uh, defensively is is taking the pride against those individual players. I think it was like a, a personal thing. This year doesn't seem like a personal thing. When you say a personal thing, that pride last year, do you think it originated from the coach, from the player? Like, where did it sort of come from? Well, I, I, my personal opinion was Marcus Smart. I mean, if you could probably just look at the numbers, I, I thought he was unbelievable last year defensively, and I think he's, he's just been okay. I don't. I think uh, I do think he's an emotional leader of this team. I do think he's like people follow him, and I just thought his mindset last year was incredible. And, I, and he won Defensive Player of the Year because of it. So he was rewarded for that last year. And it's not an easy thing to do. It's hard at that position to, to win Defensive Player of the Year, and. Um, I think that there was a, a – and I think guys follow him. Like, he was great, and I thought Tatum looked at him and said, you know what, you're the best defensive – I want to be the better defensive player. And I thought Brown looked at, at both those guys. Man, I'm better than both you guys defensively. And that's a really good competitiveness between, you know, um, between player and player or within a team. And I think they all took that pride. Guys coming off the bench would say the same, you know, like, I, I don't want to let these guys down. I just thought there was this, like, a general – like, uh, more pride defensively than what I'm seeing this year. Scal, uh, Grant Williams in a kind of tough situation right now with his contract year and, you know, embarrassing display the other night. Uh, and then he had the DNP the week before. How does he get out of this funk that he's in right now? I think with this team, the only way to really get out of it is, uh, like, when guys are out, like Rob Williams going to miss some time. You just got to take advantage of those opportunities. And, you know, like there is a little bit of humility of going to the coach and saying, all right, I know I'm not playing. I want to play well. I know – and and you don't hide it, right? I'm in a contract here, and I, I want to make a lot of money for myself and my family. What do I need to do to do that? And I'm sure the coach lays out three things. Here's what you got to do first. This is the, the main thing we want you to do. Second is that. And here's the third thing that we really want you to work on. And from there, you try to, you try to do that and you try to um, – like move forward and do the best job you can. I don't think that like Joe will ask him to do something he can't do. And I think like, he's got to kind of look at it. Like, what do I need to do to be better? And I think, and when you're in a contract year and you have all this depth and people are playing and you get a DMP or you're not playing well, 
it's not easy. There's no gifting minutes on the Boston Celtics anymore. You you go out there. If you're not Tatum Brown, you're you're you have to go out there and you have to earn everything you get. And that's I think Grant and I think Peyton Pritchard's realizing that. I think that um, you know, like Sam Hauser, who shot the ball really well at the beginning of the year, he's he's realizing that. There's nothing given here if you're not uh, Jason Tatum or or uh, Jalen Brown. All right, he's Brian Scalabrini. Celtics have dropped three in a row. They try to right the ship against the Portland Trail Blazers tonight before going out west. Scal joins us each and every Wednesday at 4.30. Scal, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. All right, Brian Scalabrini, as all our guests, joins us on the Harbor One Hotline. Well, that's interesting. He mentioned, well, you asked him directly about Grant Williams, and he mentions other names, Pritchard, Hauser, guys who are finding out that maybe there aren't enough minutes and shots to go around. Interesting. Arkan peppered him a little bit about the defense. He put it on Marcus Smart. And he said uh, their, uh, their pride in their defense is lacking this year compared to last season. All of that very interesting. We can revisit some of this in the final hour, but on the way next, Megan Ottolini and Meg Splaining. Jones and Meg return after this on WEEI. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Why don't you explain this to me like I am an eight-year-old? Do you need it broken down? It's so dumb. Why don't you explain this to me like I'm five? Well, lucky for you. I don't know how else to talk about it. Shut up, Meg. It's time for... Now I let you know! Meg-splaining. Meg-splaining. I'm kind of nervous right now because I kind of had the sneeze. I'm worried it's just Oh, no. Out. You think it's just going to happen mid-segment? It's just going to happen. Just gonna, you know when you're like, I want to sneeze, but I can't really sneeze. It's behind my nose. Yep. Okay, uh, if it happens, it happens. Brace Don't your... fight it if you need to, though. Yeah, just I, let I it. When you try and fight it, that's when you get the snots. You know, yeah. like that, those are the worst. Oh. <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about food. <laughs> Ooh, good. Um, it's time to normalize uh, absorbing the kids' menu into the rest of the menu. This is this has been a lifelong uh, mission of mine. So I'm, I'm intrigued. Arkan, is your kid eating solids yet? Uh, sort of. Okay, so yeah. you're not you're not quite there yet. Uh, Lucas is restaurant age. I'm intrigued. So I have a really simple palate. I'll put it that way. You guys have seen. You know, I don't really. I, I see the two of I'm, you just huffing candy in here. I <laughs> so like yes, candy. I do see that. I'm kind of a like Caesar salad with grilled chicken. Yep. You know, get a cheeseburger kind of person. Like okay. I don't. I'm, I'm kind of boring when it comes to eating. And there's so many times when I go to restaurants and I'm looking through the whole menu and I'm like, okay, this is some kind of like French duck thing. And then even the burger looks like Foie it has, gras is not for you. You're not, it, you're not the, into the, it. The, yeah, it's a French duck. Yeah. And then the burger has a bunch of like blue cheese and all this other stuff on it that makes it feel like it's not even going to taste like a burger anymore. And I'm at a nice restaurant. I'm enjoying the martini and everything. It's a beautiful restaurant. But the only things I really want to eat are in the corner of the menu at the children's section. And it's like, you know, 
French fries and uh, chicken tenders. Right. Yeah. Shaped like dinosaurs. And then it's like a grilled, <laughs> grilled cheese. cheese. Yeah. Grilled cheese. I'm like, grilled cheese is no, one I'm, of the best. I get what you're saying. Or like just a cheeseburger Personal with pizza. Just I'm a like, cheeseburger without a bunch of crap good. on it. Like, you yeah. know, like when you do a cookout in the backyard, and it's I'm, just a cheeseburger. I'm somebody who I cringe inside a lot when um, people order, not because of like allergy or anything else, but people order and then they have like five different substitutions within one order. I I used to work in restaurants and I always was just like I always die inside when someone does that in front of me. So I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't like, want to say like I'm going to take I'm going to order with spitting pubes in your yeah, food. Have, I'm fun, have order fun with the that. Gourmet burger with essentially nothing on it that the chef thinks right. makes it worthwhile here. Right. You know, like I feel like it's kind of rude. So the it's not even about the price point as much because the children's menu is always way cheaper right. than everything else on the menu. Well, this is going to be my question. Would you full? Would you pay like full price for just what's on I the... I would probably pay a little more than the children's prices. <laughs> okay, I would. Well, I don't I'm, think, I'm not I don't kidding. think that's going to sway the restaurants. I think so, you got to pay full price. I think I've told Arcan about this. I didn't tell you about this. I have something that I do, and I hope I don't get kicked out of going to this place for this reason. But I order off the children's menu. Have you ever been to Tate Bakery? Yes. It's like yeah, yeah. super bougie There's, there's one in Charlestown, yes. Yeah, there's several around yes. Boston. So Tate, like everything that you order there that's edible is going to start at $16. Okay. You know, you go and you get a salad there. It comes out at like $19. And you're like, how did this happen? I don't know. How did this happen? Uh, but if you order off the kid's menu. They have a kid's menu at they Tate? Have, they have a kid's sandwich and it's basically <laughs> a, a gourmet grilled cheese okay. on this amazing challah bread with like really really great cheese mm-hmm. i get it probably two to three times a week before and, i come in here and they serve it to you yeah well no see i get it for takeout so i just go in and i pick up the bag as if i have a child in the car oh, that's smart. and i take it out but the reason I say this is because for takeout, it's fine. Takeout, you can get kids grilled cheese all day. And Tate bakeries all over, all over the greater it's, Boston it, area are posting your picture now behind it's, behind it's, the, the, let me the tell counter. You something. And they're this, like, "This she's stealing she's stealing sandwiches from us. She is not a child. She's stealing sandwiches from us. You're the, you're, you're Tate's most wanted. So <laughs> <laughs> This sandwich is so good, and it's five dollars. Well, maybe I got to start getting it. So, but now I'm confused. It's do you like, like the, gourmet grilled. But now I don't get it. Do you like, do you just like the price point or no, do you like I the would, food? I would probably pay upwards to $10 for this sandwich. But that's because still. Because if you get a regular grilled cheese from there, it's like $14. <laughs> I'm not kidding for a grilled cheese. And look, I could make a grilled so cheese at scam, home, but I never be- budget in the time. And the I'm like, scam, it's a $5 sandwich. The grift, the angle is I got to order ahead and you can order off the kid's menu because they don't know that you're not ordering for your kid. That's what I got to start doing. Well, when I sit down, I would like to be able to access the kids' menu, which I ate off the kids' menu probably until well, here's, I was a junior in college. Let me tell you the beauty. Like you still do. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, correct. Yeah, you yeah, do. I'd, I'd Last time you were at the sit-down restaurant. What kind of wine would you pair with the ravioli shaped like a rocket ship? <laughs> Literally said earlier in the segment, you do it three times a week. But anyway, no, no, so- no. I'm talking about like when you're sitting down to dinner with other people. I've gotten, I've, I'm well past the age or well past the point in my life where I'm willing to sit and go. And yes, I'll have the chicken tenders off the <laughs> children's menu because also it says on it a lot of times it says for 15 and under. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't want to break the restaurant's rules, and I don't want to no. be disrespectful and be like, no. I'm not going to pay as much as a regular adult patron. 15. 
Yeah, 15 and like under. 12 and under. Sometimes it depends it where you go. It should be 12 and under. Okay, definitely Mego, 12 and under. Mego somewhere. goes to the 99 the day after the Red Sox win. <laughs> there you go. But so here's. Ground round, pay what you weigh. I'm not asking. So I would like it. Like, what if you did something that was just called like simple menu? <laughs> yeah, like a, like, like a step down. It. Yeah, here's sure. Fear. What do they call it? What do they call it at McDonald's these days? It's not the dollar menu the anymore. Menu. The, val- the value menu. You want like a value menu on like a, on fine dining. But I don't think it's I a guess. price point thing. It's a palette point. Okay. Well, you know what? But Twitch it sounds, chat, it sounds a bit price pointy. This is not pointy. nice. Twitch chat says, no worries, Mego. You look 12. <laughs> Which I pointed out before. I get people say this to me as like a a mean thing all the mm-hmm. time. They're like, who let the 12-year-old take over right. the show on radio? I'm like, why is it always 12? Is it Are people afraid to say, who let the 13, 14-year-old? Because when you bring teen into it, it yeah, sounds creepy. That might be it. Because 12 is still creepy. 12 should be creepier. Yeah, but I, I, I swear to God, it's always this 12 year old. 12 is the magic number. Interesting. Hmm. So I. Uh, and I'm like, thank you. I'll just okay, tell you. I look young. Your problem will be so, the second you have a kid. You're just I, <laughs> and I'm just eating their food. That's what I'm I like, do. Here, like I, you, like you, like you that's take, all I do. Cat you take my foie gras. Cat and I, Can all I we do, right? we, we, we order foie gras. Foie we gras. Foie we gras. order uh, adult food, but we're like half the time when we're ordering for Lucas, we're like, Lucas, you want this, right? Because I'm like, I'm going to eat those <laughs> French fries. You want the hot dog? I'm going to eat half of this cheeseburger. Oh, Lucas won't eat a whole thing of mac and cheese. It's like, like the large wing ding yeah, chicken wings. It's like bonus food. Like having a kid is just like bonus food. When you go to a restaurant, that's what it is. You can just eat all their food. It's like and, a poo poo platter. Yeah, exactly. It's like we don't need an appetizer. I'm going to eat the other half of his cheeseburger. It's like the greatest thing ever. Now, I don't know when they get older. I feel like they start eating off your plate. Once they're like 10, 12, 15, that probably backfires. But right now, he's four years old. That was a pro move my dad would do all the time. He yeah. wouldn't order. I'm like, Dad, aren't you going to order anything? He's like, no. And then next thing, we called it the claw where you just reach down with his hey, big mitts and grab all the French <laughs> yeah. fries off my plate. Well, that's it's like, like, Lucas, that's genius. Lucas can't eat I a whole restaurant-level meal. He can't do it. He like physically can't do it. So I, I just go in and yoink half his food. It's great. Anyway, it's, it's wonderful. I, just, I would like the kids' menu to be absorbed. Here's I what, love, the kids' menu is great. I think I gotta, you should just lean into it and unapologetically order, yes, so this sandwich is for me. What are you going to do about it? I, and then I stare at the server. Like I think. I, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? What are you going to say? What are you going to do? Add $5 on. Fine. Johnny Gomes, what are you going to do? You're going to go yeah. fight about it? What are you going to do? Are so, you not going to give me the chicken tenders? I think you should do like a mentoring thing with a child and then just mentoring can just be uh, you bring them to, to lunch and eat their food. <laughs> I'm joining. Uh, you big, spend time with them, and then you big just brothers, eat their big, big brothers, sisters. big sisters, and all I do is take them to nice restaurants where I eat their food. Yeah, I think that'll yeah. go over really well. Yeah, well, you're spending time with them. I mean, you're mentoring still. I was thinking, well, just a few more fries, kid. <laughs> big I, sister Megan ate my hot dog again. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you get trouble, salt on these kids? She ate my gushers again, dude. Gushers. She took, she took my she took my shark bites. Shark bite. Ooh. Shark you bites. get the opaque uh, shark bite? Why no. is that one so much better? No, no, no. Just the great white ones were the ones that you wanted. Opaque ones. Yeah, you know, like the the gummies that were not see-through, the gummies yeah. that were just like solid blue or solid oh, white. Oh, I, I think you wanted the great white the great shark white. bite. Oh. That's, that's what you wanted. I think Those were delicious. That's shark. what people, people were fighting over. <laughs> uh, anyway, no. that's, that's Meg's plating with Megan Adelini. I don't know, Scout. Scout, what's your stance on ordering out the uh, children's menu? No. Uh, it's a no. Uh, we'll get to your feedback coming up. Speaking of Scal, I want to revisit a few things he said, plus some football thoughts next. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? 
Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.